Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as always, I wish you a very good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening, wherever and whenever you join today's podcast from. I'm in a a new podcast studio again. I seem to be doing a lot of moving at the moment for various different reasons, but, um, but it's nice. Yeah, I've got a nice little setting here. I've got my water, my laptops, and more importantly, a guest on the end of the line today. Um, joining us today is the CEO of TBA Group, TBA Group, uh, TBA PLC, of course, one of the leading um, agencies and group of companies working in the live event and brand event sector. Guy Horner is the CEO and joins the Event Industry News podcast today. Guy, a very good morning to you. Hi, James. Morning to you too. Um, Thank you very much for taking the time to to join us today, Um, uh, really, because I know how busy the group is at the moment and how much activity um, has been going on. Um, Before we get into some of the subject matter of today, and we want to look at how, you know, the, the the last 10 months have shaped your group of businesses and all the various different activity that you undertake. But um, a recent bit of news, if we can open with that, is um, is the acquisition of Top Banana, uh, the agent, marketing agency Top Banana, into the TBA group of companies. That's a significant development just in the last few weeks. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, regular viewers of our podcast will, of course, know that Top Banana were actually a guest on the podcast just a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're really excited about uh, the acquisition and joining of uh, Top Banana um, into the TBA group um, and into specifically our brands division. We've got three specialist areas um, within TBA group, uh, the sports side of uh, the business, uh, working with brands um, and the entertainment side of the business. And Top Banana uh, is a a natural fit for us, uh, shared common vision, great bunch of uh, people and uh, doing some amazing work um, very much virtually over the last 12 months, but really trailblazing in that space. So um, it's uh, it's something that we're all excited about um, and puts us on the front foot moving out of uh, this pandemic. Sure. And it's as, as a group, um, it's quite obvious, I mean, just from going on to the, the TBA PLC website, um, that with this group of companies that you've got within the TBA umbrella, there is quite clearly a a defined um, line between what each one does. Each company has has retained their own brand. Um, Each company has a very, very specific focus and and, uh, ethos as to what they offer. Um, How how long had you been looking to actually add to that particular collective element? And, And... Top Banana clearly brought something to the table that that maybe some of the other elements of the group were not necessarily lacking, but that Top Banana could actually um, embellish upon. Yeah, I think specifically our our brands and customers uh, are looking for specialists. Uh, They're they're looking for partners and teams who really, really understand that area um, and can help them solve their business problems and challenges. And in Top Banana's case, They've got amazing track records um, in terms of strategic comms, uh, staff engagement, internal comms, um, content, film, digital. Uh, and that um, that, that uh, further adds to our, our stable and expertise where we've got fantastic automotive expertise, production expertise, uh, B2C consumer facing mm-hmm. uh, engagement expertise. So top, top banana within the brands division uh, adds definitely another string to our bow. And I think as you know, 
things are changing so quickly. Uh, you need to be forward-looking. Uh, we you need to be fit for the future. And I think the skills and services that the top banana guys and girls um, bring and contribute just further add to the TBA Brands division offer um, for our clients. Yeah, and and I suppose it, it, in one respect, it adds to the the length of journey that you can offer your clients in terms of um, that, that 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 experience. You know, that journey from concept to delivery, and then um, you know post event feedback. You know, you can really extend that even further by offering that wider range of services within the uh, within the, the the single group. Yeah, and I've always thought we're in a privileged position in the events industry. Um, where we really get to understand brands and clients, whether they're talking to consumers and engaging with consumers or they're talking to internal audiences. Mm. Uh, but it's a privileged position. And, and you know, you have clients' um, trust um, and um, faith and commitment in, in, in you as an agency to deliver. Mm. So it, um, it seems helpful as well when we're working with clients to be able to help solve other problems. You know, if you're talking internally to, to staff and colleagues or, or you're talking externally um, and engaging the media uh, or fans or, or customers um, that we can uh, really apply specialist knowledge and experience across those areas. Mm, absolutely. Well, one thing that, that we'd like to turn our attention to today, particularly on the podcast, is, is, this, is this changing landscape of brand experiences, something that I know as a group you're, you're heavily involved in is, is virtual launches. Um, and, and with the, the level of, of clients and the level of brands that you're involved with, um, they are on a continually moving train of productivity in terms of launching, whether it be a physical product or you know a, a concept, a new brand. Um, and for them despite the challenges that the last 12 months has has posed and, and and given everybody to face they've had to continue moving on that train haven't they when it comes to delivering their brand experiences they had to shift very quickly and very dramatically um when it comes to things like virtual launches for example how has that changed as a landscape in the last 12 months in terms of how you've worked with your clients on bringing new brands to market well, one of the good things out of this pandemic has been the vast progression in terms of embracing virtual, uh, digital and, and online world and online meetings. We've all benefited from that. Mm. But I do think it's been a, a real challenge for brands and uh, our customers and, and, and corporate clients to get their heads around uh, virtual and what they need to do and how to do it well. You know, they're bombarded with platforms and lots of different um you know ideas and potential solutions and quite rightly you know the the industry has done a great job in pivoting towards um uh online content and virtual creating experiences online but it's it's really confusing for for a client um uh, to, to to know where to start what platform to use and you know we have a a, a process tool a to b that, that we use that really unpacks um key areas and milestones along the way so clients can navigate that and choose the right solutions because there are so many and it, it it's different for um who you, you know different audience who you're trying to communicate to what the message is what you want to say how um, much interaction and engagement you want is it is it media and, and press and you need a, a platform and a closed area or is it a is it an open q a on social media so unpacking what really um, clients want um, is super important and then giving them 
giving them the right solution. You know, there's great basic tools now that everybody can jump on Zoom yeah, and Teams. Indeed, yeah, yeah. But when you're trying to create a really immersive, engaging experience that, that, that really represents the, the brand, there's, there's so much more you can do. And uh, we now have our own in-house virtual studio and edit suites, um, which sits with the Top Banana guys. So we're, we're continually building our um, expertise in, in that area um because yeah. uh, because it's 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 here to stay uh, and it's it's super powerful and actually the the reach it gives is uh is brilliant for the industry you know to be able to reach that many um to coin a uh, not a great phrase reach that many eyeballs and, and to mm-hmm. actually I- extend the footprint of events it, it makes events far more valuable so as an industry we should see it as a as a massive gift and a massive step up in terms of uh live and brand experience status in the marketing mix and mm. and the reach you can now get from that mm. when in some respects the industry was forced you know when this all happened exactly 12 months ago you know, we're recording this on the 24th of, of of march so we are literally one year on from that first lockdown um in one respect the entire industry's hand was forced live events were cancelled so you had no choice but to go virtual once you'd taken that step in some respects, the decisions that had to be made then on how and what platforms to use, etc., are even more complicated than delivering live events because of all these different platforms, because of you know the different demographics that use certain platforms and identifying perhaps which ones suit the brand that you're working with best. Um, how how difficult a challenge was it to, to identify on a project by project basis how to actually shape and what platforms to use and how much input did you take from the clients as to what they knew that their customers used to access their content we took the decision not to jump into the arms race and create another platform and claim that it was unique and uh, uh different to everything else but there's there's some amazing platforms and technology out there that you can customize and uh, bespoke to the to the needs um more than the platform, we find it's about the storytelling, the messaging, the content, um, you know, creating some amazing um, launch animations and experiences that really uh, draw the user in. Because you, you've got, you know, you've got people looking at screens a lot and screen fatigue, <laughs> and how to really make it exciting um, to to keep people. Um, uh, you know, enthralled and, and, and entertained at the end of the day. So uh, very much our focus is on the creative, the storytelling, and then using the right tools and technology rather than trying to um, compete with some some huge, you know, multinational um, businesses um, and great platform providers. And there's some, there's some great platforms out there, but I think a lot of brands have got lost early days going, what platform do I need rather than <laughs> actually who am I talking to? What do I need to say and, and how do I really engage them? Absolutely. And, and, and that brings us to, to a, a perfect segue to something that I noticed on, on LinkedIn, on the TBA group LinkedIn just a couple of days ago, a post that you guys put up there. Content is king. And three really clear points and questions. Is it compelling? Is it captivating? Is it shareable? They Absolutely. are really the, 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 the top three headlines, aren't they, when it comes to, to what, exactly what you've just been talking about? Yeah, and you know, you the expectation is uh, online now, and so there's so much content, user generated content, you know, great professionally cut content that 
there's a certain level of expectation and and, and, and experience required now. So um, that getting getting that right and making it really captivating and compelling um, is 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 a real challenge. Um, for virtual, um, not to mention the hybrid world that I'm sure you'll come onto that we're that, that we that we're going to get involved in, where you've got to juggle that balance as well. Well, well, indeed, you know, and hybrid is definitely something we'll touch on because it's it's a question I've already asked on recent issues of, editions of the podcast. Is is you know we've learned. I feel we've we've compressed ten years of learning into the last twelve months, and we now have so many more strings to our bow when live comes back. So we'll we'll, we'll come to that um, come to that in a bit. But something I wanted to ask when it comes to generating content and relating to, to compelling and captivating and shareable is you mentioned screen fatigue and people have spent the last 12 months more than ever on screens you know we've we've been in lockdown we're on our phones we're on our tablets we're on netflix um has the length of content had to be altered significantly there's so much video content available now on any social media platform particularly have you worked with clients to really identify what appropriate lengths of content work in the modern environment when you bear in mind that people may be suffering from screen fatigue and they may only watch something for a matter of seconds yeah and that's a real challenge you know um the shorter the better really we all know that you know two minutes feels like five minutes um when, when you're watching and um it, it, it's got to be long enough to get land the messages and if there's interaction or if there's breakouts or different um rooms to explore um but short, snappy, compelling is really important. There is a real tendency, um, some brands and clients, you see it a lot, where um, they've got this lovely content. Perhaps it's already been seen and out there. It goes in again. Mm. Or, 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 you know, a 30-minute program turns into, uh, you know, a 90-minute program, which is uh, too long to expect an audience to, to, to you know, to sit and, sit, sit and watch. Um, so it's, it's the obligation of the brand and the producers to make sure that it is, uh, you know, it's exciting, compelling, lands the messages and um, leaves uh, the audience wanting, wanting more. I think that the other great thing about um, creating content virtually for virtual events um, is it gives you a whole suite of assets. Uh, uh, to, 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 to use and to, to chop up into bite-sized chunks and uh, reuse and distribute. It's, it's also worth remembering that when you look at actually the live audience, you know, when we've done um, uh, live launches and live shows, um, the, the live audience, you might get 20, 30,000 people uh, live as an example, yeah. but um, within 24 hours, you'll have a couple of million views of that content. Um, so you've got to think about live live, but also about how that content is then digested and in, enjoyed and engaged with past that live that live moment. And and that's happened um, recently. You look at a lot of the Formula One launches and far more fans engaged over the following 24 hours than actually at, at three o'clock on a midweek afternoon when maybe you're, you, you know, you're busy with your own work priorities. Absolutely. And, and you've only got to look at the, the, the way that consumers digest and watch television now. You know, you, you see, you know, the, 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 the proliferation of Netflix. Um, you know, you look at BBC and they're as concerned about their iPlayer, uh, you know, ratings and watches 
you know, beyond the actual live broadcast as they are of the actual people who've tuned in with the live broadcast itself. Um, and, and that's a, a prime example of how the events industry, I suppose, has had to completely sort of shift how it how it thinks about something. Because when we're delivering live events, it's about the people who are there. It's about the bodies who are in that room or in that venue or in that particular environment, if it's open air. And now, as you quite rightly point out, it's not just about that broadcast or that live event that you're putting on virtually via a digital platform, but because it's there, you know, to, you know, until the end of time, essentially, once it goes out there, um, you've got to consider how many people will actually watch that and access that content and how relevant it, it retains itself beyond the live broadcast. We were really just talking about Netflix. We were really pleased to see uh, um, we created uh, MK7 Red Bull Racing's uh, fan experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think uh, the, the new series of Netflix, uh, Drive to Survive, uh, yeah. Formula One, um, was set in, uh, in the studio we created, which is obviously pre-COVID. And we didn't expect to be a, a perfect backdrop for that setting. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, the, the the amount of content now that you can access on things like Netflix, um, uh, you know, means there is a demand for, for quality and exciting content um, that, um, uh, you know, needs to be more than uh, PowerPoint slides and just simple pieces to camera. Well, exactly. Um, you mentioned hybrid and, and, and quite rightly point out that, that we, we need to talk about that. Um, and... Uh, I, I, as I said, think that we've learned so much in the last 12 months. We've compressed an awful lot of learning. And I think there is an awful lot of good to come out of, of the last year in terms of what we can now deliver as an industry, um, in terms of how we understand our audiences and how we can, we found new ways to access them and keep content being delivered to them. Um, how much of what we've had to do in the last 12 months will we choose to do once live comes back? It's a great question, and it's a it's a real challenge for brands. And you know, our our clients and customers are wrestling with that at the moment. Um, in in a way, um, it's 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 harder going back than going forwards. And I don't think there is a way back. You know, everybody had to um, embrace virtual and use virtual um, with, with 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 hybrid. Um, it, it's the future, um, of course. Um, customers and brands are going to want to go back to to face to face um uh where it really works um and that will come back but they're not going to want to lose virtual and that broader audience and reach um and uh return on investment that that gives so you're, you're then really looking at which audience do you prioritize we all know you go to a TV studio for a TV show and it's a different experience to the experience that you get um, shiny floor on, on, on TV. Um, not necessarily a worse experience, just a different experience. And I think, you know, you've got to look at the two, look at the audiences and the messaging you're trying to communicate with and, and decide what what those experiences are. Um, and, you know, is it is it all about the virtual audience? Um, or is it live in the room? Um, what you don't want is just, you know, a feed and a, a, a stream of a live event. You know, we, we've been there um, pre-COVID and a few years back, and it was always a bit like the poor relation, whereas now I think it's it's far more integrated. You know, hybrid is the buzzword, um, but moving forward, uh, you, you, you know, it's going to be integrated in terms of you've got, You've got two different distinct audiences um, yeah. and it's got to be exciting. It's got to be exciting for both and it can be, but it, um, 
it, it, it's another challenge for our, uh, you know, our customers and brands to get their head around um, how, how best to deal with that. Mm. And, and again, you, you, what you've just spoken about, there is another example, in my opinion, of, of, of how we've been forced down this route, but how it, there's a lot of good to come from it. Because as you rightly said, when we first started doing live streaming at live events, you know, let's expand our audience by, you know, allowing people who are not at the physical event to still tune in. And they basically could go on YouTube onto Vimeo or something and just click a live stream and watch something that was fairly static and boring. Um, we've been forced to develop this online content, which is brilliant. Um, and I think what we do need to appreciate now and what I'd like to ask you is, is that some audiences may not want to come back. As much as we hear about audiences saying we can't wait to get back to festivals and to gigs and to live events. and other, I've also spoken to a lot of friends and family who have said that they will wait a considerably longer length of time before they feel comfortable going back in. And I think that's something that we have to acknowledge and appreciate as an events industry is that a percentage of our audience may not want to come back. So we have to retain that that virtual element and do it well. Yeah, I, I think for the way we're seeing it within the TBA group is there's there's two distinct um, di you know, different approaches. Consumer, huge pent-up demand. We see that in the entertainment division, some of the concerts and shows we're doing. Uh, real consumer appetite to get back into stadiums, to concerts, into bars, restaurants, hospitality. Um, but then the corporate side of things, um, there's the responsibility of the corporate clients. You know, are they um, creating a safe event? They don't want to endanger staff. Um, do they need to fly staff around the world to an event if they can do it virtually um, and more efficiently um, and in a more sustainable way? So it's throwing up choices for them as well. Um, it, it, uh, it creates a great opportunity and it's, it's, it's really exciting to see how much of the events industry have embraced virtual because it really can um, move us forward into a much more strategic, important place in terms of experiences and the marketing mix. But um, yeah, I think what what consumers are going to be want to be doing from June onwards, um, uh, restrictions permitting, um, and where corporates are are two different timescales. Mm. And you raise a very uh, another very good point there about. Um, the working from home scenario you know we hear an awful lot about companies who um, are, are, are abandoning their office spaces now you know they've had 12 months of, of their staff working from home realize that they can be as productive realize that they can remove that cost of a physical building and an office space to work in which helps them as a, as a business from an economic point of view and if you've got that scenario now where in certain business sectors a lot of people are working from home then they will now naturally follow that on by saying, well, do we need to fly them to that event? Do we need five days in a hotel, you know, for 15 members of staff for that conference? Um, the conference themselves, the organisers themselves will no doubt be asking very, very similar questions. Um, how much how much contact have you had with that sort of the, that corporate event world? And, you know, have you, have you been able to speak to any of them to really sort of get a feel for how working from home will then affect their decision making when it comes to events and conferences? Yeah, there's some really um, interesting stats, actually, um, that we found in terms of 
audience demographics who are engaging with virtual events um, and, uh, you know, where you're getting people um, uh, spending longer in virtual events um, and, and just different age groups and, and genders that uh, uh, are more likely to be involved in a virtual event than a live event. Mm-hmm. Um, from what we're saying, what, what we're seeing with our clients is um, real confidence after the summer um with 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 bookings and events being planned um, and a lot of activity towards the end of the year question mark over internationally because obviously we we know that the the current um challenges in in, in europe who are a bit behind us but mm. um if it, it feels like uh, uh the guinea pigs are going to be the uh, uh consumer events over the summer see how those run um we could be up to you know 30 40,000 people um, for uh, Euros and other events um, over the summer and, and concerts. Um, and, and then that obviously gives a lot of confidence in terms of uh, more of the corporate stuff coming back. And it does, it does come down, doesn't it, to you know, confidence um, and um, as things un- unlock, um, corporate clients and brands feeling um, uh, able and prepared to commit um, and to uh, want to um, create, you know, create hybrid experiences um, to engage with those audiences because um, it's we've all had a lot of stop, start, stop, start. So you, you know, quite rightly, some brands have just said no. Let's let's wait. Let's be cautious. Um, and, and and when we go, you know, we'll really um, we'll go with determination and clarity um, because it has been an incredibly um, tricky, uh, volatile twelve months. It has, and and. I mean that volatility and that that trickiness that's come. You know, we've had staff, freelancers, technicians. You know, skilled people who've who've essentially been sat on the sidelines for twelve months, um, and who are now you know going to be thrown back into the the, the, the the thick of things. You know, once um, restrictions ease, and particularly once we get to the summer, when if the roadmap is is is, is to be understood, we will be allowed to do things on a more normal level. Um, what strikes me is that having been sort of not abandoned, but, you know, with this really sort of tricky black hole of a 12 month period for a lot of the workers in the industry is that the events industry itself now is almost going to take on a responsibility for rebuilding public confidence in being in crowded spaces in being in, in environments with other people. You know, an awful lot of focus will be on how well these early events are delivered and how much sort of there are, you know, comeback there is on them. Um, and I really think that if they can be delivered safely and if the right messages can get put out there in the press and in the media about how well they were delivered, we've got this great opportunity as an industry now to actually assist with the rebuilding of, of public confidence in being in, in grouped environments. It is. It's, it, it, it's confidence, isn't it? And I think that's going to move quickly um, as events come back um, and hopefully as we see things are under control and are, are managed um that um, that confidence will come back and, and, and things will start to um, you know move move more quickly and um, we need to be uh, we, we need to be ready. I think you know the industry's never had um, a bigger opportunity. Um, uh, change always creates opportunity. Um, it's been incredibly tough. I know you know for us as a group, like everybody else, it's been it's been tough, but it presents opportunity. And I think if you look forward strategically into what brands and clients need um you know there's a there's a really exciting runway you've only got to look at sport in europe over the next three or four years it's massive yeah 
of course it is. Yeah, um, I, I'm wouldn't mind maybe touching on on the sort of the technical side of things. I mentioned that you know a lot of the the technical, the engineering aspect of of the live events industry has basically been on on standby now for twelve months. Um, are you in a position now where, from a planning point of view, you can see where and when and how you can actually deliver the live experience again, and you're able to now sort of start um, bringing people back into the mix and and presumably you've now got a lot of stuff in your own schedule now for for august september and onwards yeah we're actually we're doing our um, first live event of the year next week um out in saudi with extreme e so uh amazing new racing series um i've seen it uh, yeah i've seen that the publicity for it. it looks absolutely spectacular so we're Extreme's live event partner, and we're uh, creating some experiences out in Saudi in the desert. I've uh, got a team on the ground out there, so it's uh, it's awesome to be you know back physically delivering things, so, as well as a lot of the virtual events across the group that we've got happening um, today and, and, and next week and onwards. But yeah, I guess really from um, sort of June, July onwards, um, with Euros, hopefully, etc. There's um, there's a clear stream of work, and then looking into uh, looking into the autumn, it feels generally that um, people are um, getting busier. You know, a lot of the venues as well are experiencing a real uptick in terms of interest and inquiries and booking. So, um, I think we all just need to uh, sort of uh, hold on to the seat of our pants and hope that we don't <laughs> we don't uh, y- you know we don't get any more um, bumps in the road, as uh, Boris would say. Well, talking about hold seats of your pants and, uh, uh, and bumps in the road, the Extreme E series that you mentioned there, you know, for, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I would urge you to just hop on your nearest device and Google Extreme E and and, and have a look at what this is about. Um, and and you've 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 piqued my interest there because maybe that's something we can talk about in the future, guy. Because I, I know that one of the ethos uh, behind Extreme E is it, it, the locations and the whole delivery of it is very much and eco-friendly it's looking at at carbon footprint it's looking at the impact on the planet some of the locations that have been selected for races are going to be extremely challenging from a logistical point of view and from a delivery point of view dare i say it that that the organizers and and the the chiefs behind extreme e will will want everything delivered in line with their ethos as a racing series and um it would be fantastic if uh if you guys are interested to maybe uh maybe look uh, look at that in a few months time and uh do a special episode of the podcast looking at how that particular uh, you know element was delivered uh, in, in, with your own work. Yeah, very very happy to do that. We've been working with the guys at Extreme E since the original St Helena boat launch at Tower Bridge a couple of years ago, um, and then obviously the virtual launch um, before Christmas, which uh, went extremely well. And now to sort of get back to live, but yeah, it's a super exciting series. You know, it's great to have um, uh, male and female drivers racing together um in the same cars um a really exciting electric format um with a huge sustainability focus um feels very very current and and, and very now and we're we're lucky you know we're, we're lucky as a as a group to be involved in projects like that and w series which is another amazing series that's competing on the same platform now as as, as formula one um really shining a light on um uh, you know, female racing drivers um, and, and and women in racing, which is which is going to be really exciting. So uh, yeah, there's a whole whole world of sports projects that are that are bubbling away uh, that we're really looking forward to the season ahead. 
Mm. And more importantly, it's great to hear that you are actually getting back to delivering those live experiences, you know, as as productive, I think, if, if we are to be positive about it, as productive as the last 12 months has been in our understanding and development of the virtual format, I think that, um, you know, everybody obviously wants to get back to doing those live events. There's going to be excitement and a buzz and an adrenaline rush about, you know, you never see guys carrying trusses eagerly into events. Um over the next few months, they will all be glad to pick up anything and run with it, quite literally. No, we, uh, we, we did um, Lapland, uh, Silverstone, had um, uh, with Silverstone before Christmas, biggest event during COVID. There's uh, 60,000 cars, a couple of hundred thousand people went through that experience and wow. created a whole amazing light show on the Formula One track. And, um, yeah, all of the crew were so excited just <laughs> to be out and, you know, as you say, carrying a bit of trust, putting some moving lights out, doing <laughs> the lasers. It, it was a fantastic success, but it was uh, it was a real tonic for all of the teams and freelancers and our regular suppliers just to be out doing something. Yeah. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. And, and thankfully now it's on its way back. So um, we look forward to it. Um, we've been joined on the podcast today by Guy Horner. Guy is the CEO of TBA Group. If you want to find out a little bit more about what those guys are up to, tbaplc.co.uk is their website. And as I said, Instagram on LinkedIn and LinkedIn. If you search for TBA PLC or TBA Group, um, I think it's TBA underscore group on Instagram. Um, go and check out what these guys are up to and find out a little bit about some of their history as well because there's some fascinating history with this particular organisation right the way back to the 60s and uh, things like the launch of the original Mini. Um, right. So, you know, uh, uh, hop on there and uh, take a look at what the guys are up to. Guy, thanks very much for joining us today. It's been great to have great. you. Uh, great great to have pleasure. You on the podcast. Nice to chat to you. If you, uh, if you are listening to this on your favourite podcast platform, then head over to eventindustrynews.com to check out the latest features and uh, news that's going on in the event industry and all the various different vertical strands. Some of the special supplements, the sustainability features that have been a key part of Event Industry News for the last couple of years. Now, of course, if you are watching this on the Event Industry News website already, then hop over to your favourite podcast download platform and uh, tune in whilst you're out for your daily walk or on your commute to wherever you you may be going in the next few months good luck to everybody out there hope everybody stays safe we're on the road out of this and we can all see a bright light ahead guy horner from tba it's been great to have you on the show and we'll see you on the next edition of the podcast Thank goodbye you.